Economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith and economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith and Economics Podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show. Uh, I'm Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gortney Institute, and I hold the Wayne Angel Chair of Economics here at Ottawa University. And my co-host is Dr. Justin Clark. He holds the Menard Family Professor of Ethics and Philosophy, which I think I reversed those two technically, but that's okay. <laughs> and we are heading into part three here of our free will. Do we have free will? Do we not have free will? We've been having fun with this. And uh, we're going to end this section today with competitivism. Oh, wow, I did butcher that. That is incredible. All right, I'll let you restate that. But um, the first thing we covered on the first podcast was determinism, where we all are just don't have any free will. Everything's determined for us all the way. Even our bowl of Cheerio, Cheerios or Frosted Flakes choice in the morning. And then libertarianism was having a little more freedom on our choices. And, and I'm giving the loosest of definitions because I'm going to let Dr. Clark uh, clean those up with his official, uh, official stuff. So Dr. Clark, take it away. All right. So um, if we do a little brief recap of where we're at, um, like Russ said, determinism is the idea that all our actions are determined and that therefore we couldn't have done anything other than what we did um, and since all our actions are determined and since uh, free will means being able to do uh, other than what you have done then therefore we don't have free will right okay um, so so that's determinism, the idea that uh, what free will means is that you have a, a legitimate, uh, it was metaphysically possible for you to do more than one thing and you get to choose. And since we are physical systems in this causally closed, blah, 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 whatever, um, it turns out that we actually don't have the option to do otherwise than we do. And so therefore we don't have free will. Right. Now, so we don't, basically, determinism is the argument we don't have free will. Yes, yeah, so we don't have free will because we are determined. And then woe is me, I might as well just kill myself. And what? <laughs> I said, woe is me, I might as well just kill myself. <laughs> but the determinist view is so depressing that, uh, I mean, it goes to me beyond even uh, faith for our faith and economics podcast here. It's like, okay, whatever. But, so let's, let's move it along okay. here. What's our so, next one? libertarianism then is the denial of determinism right basically the opposite of determinism it says that there are at least some parts in our at least some events in our lives which aren't determined and that we could you know choose one of the forks in a path um, and that that option really is up to us and it really is a live option it doesn't just seem like we get to choose we actually choose between differing uh different choices or different branches on a path. And um, compatible to say, since freedom, they agree with determinism about what the definition of freedom of the will is, right? Which is being able to do differently than you otherwise would have done. 
And they say, since uh, freedom of the will is being able to do differently than you have done, and since we can do differently than uh, we do, right? Since we do have these choices, um, therefore we have freedom of the will. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, now, one of the things that both of these theories have in common is the idea that um, for us to be morally responsible human beings and for us to have freedom of the will, um, we need to be able to act otherwise than we do. Determinists say that's what, you know, uh, moral responsibility requires freedom of the will, and we don't have freedom of the will, therefore nobody's morally responsible. Mm, and right. libertarians say moral responsibility requires freedom of the will, and um, we do have freedom of the will, and that's why we are moral, morally responsible for our actions. Yeah. Okay, so at this point you might think that seems like it exhausts the possible options of yeah. Yeah, what I'm excited freedom to hear of the will is. With this, so. And so there uh, is a third option, which is called compatibilism. And compatibilism is the thesis that determinism and freedom of the will are not mutually exclusive. They are compatible with each other. Ah. Another way to state this is that they can, they're compatible with each other. All right, not mutually yeah. exclusive, got it. So, and another way to state this is the thesis that um, determinism and moral responsibility are compatible with each other. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah. Okay. I, th I think so from the, because that brings, that enters in the moral part uh, yeah. once you have the free will. So um, to think about why you might be uh, convinced of compatibilism, uh, I always like to take a step back and talk about uh, ducks. Um, Did you say ducks or docks? Ducks. Ducks. Okay. Quack, ducks. quack. Um, and so we are going to kind of take what's, uh, an argument for compatibilism that goes through something called linguistic externalism. Wow. So, uh, Russ, you know what a duck is, right? I think so. If it looks what? like a duck, uh, sounds like a duck, it's probably a duck. I remember that quote. Okay. So there, <laughs> there's that definition of a duck, but, uh, you know, if, if we ask one of our students what a duck is, they might say it's a, you know, a bird, yeah. a feathered bird, uh, which is an animal, you know, um, start describing it, two legs, web yeah. feet, whatever. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, our, our intuitive idea of what a duck is. Well, suppose nobody had looked at ducks for a real long time. Um, and we like a hundred years or a, a hundred thousand years time, like we're going to bring evolution into this discussion or something or no, just uh, nobody's checked on ducks in a long time. Um, okay. And we go out and pick one up and, you know, we look under the feathers and we go, oh my God, this is made of metal and it says built in Taiwan. <laughs> right? um, and we go, hey, somebody go check the rest of the ducks. And it turns out that, you know, every, for every one that we check, we go, oh, these all say made in metal and made of metal. And, and these are all made of metal and they also have built, built in Taiwan. Right. Mm -hmm. um, now, we, what would we be more inclined to say? Um, ducks don't exist? Or, hey, ducks, we thought ducks were birds. It turns out they're robots. Now, 
Okay. I mean, I'd be leaning towards where the ducks go. We, these aren't the real ducks. There must be hiding somewhere. What if it turns out that, uh, you know, no one had ever checked ducks before? Okay. We just assumed they were, they were like all the other birds, right? All right. Because then, it looked like a duck, sounded like a duck, there's probably a duck. Well, it is a duck, back. right? Uh, <laughs> okay. So um, most people, uh, and I think this is their intuition, would say that what we would say then is that, hey, we were just wrong about what ducks were. We thought they were birds, but it turns out ducks are robots, right? Um, okay, sure. Yeah. So th this is what happens, you know, when, um, if you think about what the term water means, right? Water just means H2O right? Water denotes all and only those things that are H2O. Um, but we were using the term water long before we figured out what its chemical structure was. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. We're kind of getting into a learning process that we're describing something that might be useful, it might be fun, it might be warm, it might be hot. And so, that's what uh, we describe it and then we learn more about it. Yeah, and we say, you know, water just denotes whatever that thing is. Um, and then through you know, centuries of scientific progress, we actually figure out the essential nature of that thing. And now we can say water is H2O, and of course that's a great scientific discovery. Um, but it's not like people uh, you know, didn't know or weren't able to use the term correctly 200 years ago, right? Um, mm -hmm. So um, Linguistic externalism is the idea that what our words mean is what they are usually used to, uh, to denote. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's a so, usefulness, a, a, prag a pragmatic approach to our language that it means what we all generally agree it means. Yeah. It, yeah, it means what we use, what we use the term to refer to generally. Right. Um, and so we can do this to take a completely different approach to the question of whether or not we have free will. And here, what we can do is we say, hey, 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 why don't you forget about all this, you know, uh, fork in the road stuff, um, you know, could I have done differently is, you know, scientific, are all events scientifically um, deterministic? Um, why don't we just instead look at the acts that we describe as free free normally and the acts that we describe as unfree right um, okay and we can see if there is something that all the free acts have in common just like you know we line up all the ducks and we see what okay what do all these ducks have in common that separates them from the other animals right uh, what does water have in common what do all our samples of water have in common that separates them from um, other compounds Okay. So, um, and we can say things like, well, is go, you know, we, uh, what about going on a hunger strike? Um, is that a free act? Yeah. Most people don't uh, say that's a free act. Um, what about being starved by uh, a jailer? Is that free? No, that's not free. Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, what we notice if we put all our free acts in one column and all our unfree acts in the other column is that it does look like there is something that all those free acts have in common. And it looks like those acts 
the acts we term as free are acts that are caused by the beliefs and desires of that agent. I was going to say acts that had an alternative, but was the first thing that came to mind. So that begs the question, right? That cheats. That says... Uh, I'm back to the fork in the road. Well, you're saying had an alternative, but had an alternative is just what we're debating, right? So you can't say what all the free acts have in common is that they were free. Um, well, not eating. When you said the jailer starving somebody, so not eating, I didn't have another choice. If we're defining it as whether I should eat or not, that choice set was constrained by the jailer. And so I don't, there, there, it, it was down to a, a single item, I guess, without an alternative. That's okay. what I was trying to think of. So, but you're still presupposing that we do have alternatives, right? Okay, okay. Is, yeah. Back to the presupposing. So that, don't yeah. think about uh, you know, branches or forks or anything like that. Um, okay. Um, however the universe is, if it's completely deterministic or not, um, when you uh, propose to your wife, when you, um, you know, write your papers, those are acts that are caused by psychological states, beliefs and desires of the person who's doing the acting. Okay. This looks like a perfect spot to, for a cliffhanger. And we will get back to that question after the break. up here um, trying to put together this agent making a decision we had uh, we were being starved uh, and we didn't seem to have a choice and then we have free will of having some choice and something boiling it down back down to the individual to the agent so take it away Justin okay so on the conception of free will and the version of compatibilism that I am articulating um, What all free acts have in common is that they are caused by the belief by psychological states within the agent or psychological states of the agent, right? Okay. Better not to say that the states are in anything. Um, so now the we, root, the root cause is the person making the decision. The proximal cause. Yeah. The, the, the proximal cause is the a psychological state within the agent, right? Okay. I okay. want the hamburger, therefore I go and eat the hamburger. Okay. Um, now this probably needs to be refined a little bit because um, uh, some people want to say uh, that people who are, you know, uh, suffering severe addiction problems um, don't have, uh, don't have free will or whatever, or, um, you might want to, you might wonder whether dogs have free will, right? Dogs have beliefs and desires. Um, or, well, dogs have desires at least. 
Um, you know, the reason my dog eats the food is because she desires the food. Now, I'm not sure that my dog has free will. Um, so maybe I want to refine uh, this definition such that um, it says that things, you know, things like babies and dogs don't have free will, but um, non-addicted rational adults do, right? <laughs> um, and so uh, Harry Frankfurt has a great essay where he says, um, you know, one way to amend this is to think that uh, as adults, you know, as psychologically rational adults, um, we can want things and we can have desires about things, but uh, we can also have desires about our desires. So I can wish, I can mm -hmm. want to not want um, chocolate, right? Yeah, yeah. I think now you're, I'm either thinking way back to my old philosophy classes or something, but yes, desiring to not desire whatever. Yes, I remember part of this. Yeah, and, and those desires... Um, can actually uh, get us to stop, uh, get us to behave in certain ways, right? Um, so it's not just that we have freedom, uh, that we have desires and those desires get us to do things. We have desires about our desires. And Harry Frankfurt says that is what is required for uh, a being to possess free will. Mm -hmm. Not just that you're blind, blindly following your desires, but that you can reason about your desires. Um, and so that would be a conception, uh, a further narrowing of freedom of the will, such that it probably only applies to humans, right? Right. So that's where your dog doesn't desire to change its uh, state, even though it made a choice and it desired to eat. It it doesn't desire to be a thinner dog or a better whatever something. It it doesn't have second order desires, and it doesn't desire. Uh, it doesn't have any desires about its desires. Yeah. Right? My dog doesn't want to want food less. Right? Yes. Okay. So, um, so there we go. Now we have a conception of freedom of the will that uh, is consistent with uh, what most people think about freedom of the will in that it says that it agrees with uh, common sense about which acts are free. Right? Um, now, uh, is it, uh, what does it mean for that to be compatible with determinism? Or I should, I should also just say, just, so just as a recap, this argument goes, of course we have freedom of the will. Let's look at what people call freedom of the will and find out what it is, right? Um, okay. Say, okay, so now that we've looked at all these cases that, we're, that we think are free, are, um, are free, here's what they all have in common. Um, and we go, okay, so that's what freedom of the will is. Now, uh, what about determinism? Is the universe ca causally determined? And here, um, some compatibilists say, of course, the universe is ca causally determined. And, um, but still, since freedom of the will just means um, that your actions are caused by your desires in a certain way, um, then you, you still have free will in those cases. Um, right, okay, so yeah. now we're back to, a, I could be a, uh, a person created by God placed on a causal earth or a determined yes. earth. Yes. Right? But you could also, you can also say, look, I don't know how determined uh, the world is. And actually when we were making these arguments about determinism and um, libertarianism, 
we kind of assumed a Newtonian universe where there are only particles in fields of force and Newtonian physics is completely deterministic, right? Um, but uh, we know that our universe isn't a Newtonian universe, right? Um, for certain uh, high values and very small values, um, Newtonian physics collapses. And now we actually have two different uh, versions of physics. We have, um, you know, general relativity theory, and we also have quantum theory. Now, the problem is that these two theories are uh, mutually exclusive. Uh, they can't both be right, uh, right? And yeah. so we actually don't have a theory of physics that actually does explain the universe and explain it perfectly causally. Both yeah. of these theories do make very good predictions, and uh, you know, um, but and relativity uh, is Einstein, right? And quantum yes. is I don't know. Do we have somebody that we attribute quantum? Um, well, Bohr essentially, but there's uh, quantum physics is. I mean, Richard Feynman used to say nobody understands quantum physics, <laughs> uh, and he was, you know, arguably the one who understood it the most at the time he said it. Um, so, uh, and look, very, very weird things happen in quantum physics. Um, and relativity is very hard to wrap your mind around too. But the, the point is that uh, we have been assuming when we talked about those that, uh, when we talked about determinism and libertarianism, that uh, physics gives us this picture of the universe that is completely causally closed and, um, and that we know this theory, right? And the point is, we don't know that theory. Um, we have two competing theories, and uh, they can't both be right. But uh, so we don't know what a perfected, uh, perfected physics looks like. And so a, um, a compatibilist can just say, look, however, however determined the world is, that's just going to be however determined the world is. Uh, and freedom of the will is compatible with whatever physics eventually tells us. Mm -hmm. Sense. Well, I'm kind of going back to the one, the one, as long as we have freedom on one choice, then it's not determined. So, yeah, so rehash that for me again on where compatibilism is different than that. Because that's kind of, to me, saying compatibilism, if as long as I can choose one thing, the rest can still be determined. So now we've got this mix of determinism and... and uh, well, it's not... Uh, I mean... It's, it's not ex exactly if you could choose on at least one time. It's that if you could have chosen differently at least one time, right? Because um, the determinist will say, we choose all the time. Our choices are just determined, right? Mm -hmm. um, right. So... Uh, a, a compatibilist says that isn't that is neither here nor there. Uh, however determined our choices are, whether they are all determined or whether we actually do, uh, in some cases, choose indeterminately, we still have free will, and our free actions are the ones that are caused by our beliefs and desires. Okay. Determinism and libertarianism both agree about the definition of free will. They just disagree about whether we have it, right? 
compatibilists disagree with um, libertarians and determinists about the definition of free will. And they say, and we have it. Okay. And the definition getting back to the desire about our desires. The definition of that agent is, yeah, let's, let's look at all the actions that everyone's been calling free actions for the last, you know, since language developed, those are the actions that are free. What does that mean? Let's look at those actions and see what they are. Okay. okay. Now it might turn out that uh, they're free or it might turn out that we could have done differently. Fine. Um, it doesn't really matter. They're determined. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Um, okay. So it's almost like just redefining it in a sense. Well, it's taking the definition away from philosophers uh, right? and saying, how do normal people use this word? That's what it means, right? Um, right. right, okay. Cool, well, I was trying to uh, figure out how this uh, worked in. I brought this up on the last podcast about the bondage of the will, um, where, <clears throat> um, again, this is, this is different, I think, than, uh, I guess, um, Luther would be a compatibilist, I believe, uh, from all that we've covered so far, because uh, the desire about our desires um, was something, but um, he would say we can't choose God. We can't choose righteousness. Like, you can't just decide, like, hey, I want to go to heaven, so I'm going to work my way up there, and, and so the argument goes, uh, in some faith traditions, um, Let's say once you become a Christian, they, you say, uh, well, uh, God does a little bit of stuff and I do a little bit of stuff and we meet in the middle and, and I'm redeemed. I'm, I'm good. And uh, Luther's argument was uh, you can't do good. You have nothing to contribute um, to God except your sin. And that grace is the 100% gift it's a hundred percent God doing the the gift or the choosing, if you will. Um, now you can unchoose God, so that's where the free will part comes in. It is possible for you to forsake God, um, but it's actually not possible for you to um, redeem yourself. So there's nothing you can do um, that's worth a darn or that's going to get you uh, more points in heaven or, or further along. Uh, so then that always begs the question um, that Lutherans would get challenged with, um, well, when, what do I do then? Well, you, you pray and you do, <laughs> do what you wish. And I, <clears throat> so from a, a free market, Adam Smith, self-interest perspective, um, if you have God's interest with it, you follow your self-interest. Um, and if you're a believer and you kind of take the uh, the meaning you don't get frustrated when you're like, oh, why can't I do the right thing? Oh, it's because I'm sinful and I live in a sinful world and I'm pathetic and it doesn't actually matter if I can't do the right thing. So don't beat yourself up too much. So I don't know. I find a lot of freedom in that. So uh, th that is Luther's bondage of the will according to Russ McCullough, which is probably theologically uh, uh, off, but uh, the podcast is the thinking fellows again, and they do quite a few episodes on, on the bondage of the will, um, throughout there. They've been doing the podcast for about three years. So they've done it off and on in different parts. So that's where most of my theology there is coming from. In addition to being a member of the Missouri Synod Lutheran church, but 
Uh, so we do talk about that a little bit there, but that, that gets a little deeper in the weeds with bondage of the will. So with that said, I don't know, Justin, does that, uh, is bondage of the will that we can't choose righteousness, does that uh, fall into any one of these camps? Uh, if it's, it seems to be uh, libertarian in the sense that it, uh, it says that there are things that you could choose, which you could otherwise uh, um, where you could have done otherwise, right? Um, yeah, so, but how, okay, so how is it not compatibilist? <clears throat> uh, it, it, it might be compatibilist too, right? Okay. Uh, but uh, compatibilism just says, you know, it's uh, however determined the world is, we still have free will and our free actions are the ones that are caused by our psychological states. Um, yeah. So if, if we want to take that definition of what freedom of the will is, then it's compatibilist, right? Well, what, where I was kind of going with that is that, yeah, um, I think Luther would argue that our condition is determined, that we, we can't work out of our sinful state on our own one bit, no matter how many our, our most righteous deeds are filthy rags is... Uh, Bible quote that I can't remember where it exactly comes from, but I like that one. Our most righteous deeds are filthy rags to God. In other words, we, there's nothing that we could possibly do. So we are bound in that way. <clears throat> we have free will to like unchoose God. So I, anyway, I, I feel like it's acknowledging that there is a determined part where libertarians, I, I guess you said that you can acknowledge a determined part with libertarianism. Yeah. Uh, okay. I'll, you know, every libertarian, and again, this is not political libertarians. Right. Every uh, person who's a libertarian thinks that a lot of your life is determined, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but just that there are at least some points where um, you could do otherwise than you end up uh, doing. Yeah. Well, I think that's what's tough for other Christian denominations to swallow. I think they hear that and they agree with it, but then they're like, okay, but I got I to gotta do Sunday school. I got to do this. I, I got to... Uh, do this for God. And I have to, you know, kind of come up with a laundry list of, oh, I better not do this because I don't want to get in God's bad graces. And, and the Lutheran, it, again, it's kind of fuzzy, but the Lutheran view of that is that don't even worry about that stuff. You're going to screw up, um, but don't feel the stress like you have to do it. I think there's a fine line between um, kind of Christian guilt or something that you have to do something. You can't choose another thing because it'll be either and here it might be just virtue signaling to other church members or other family members that oh uh, see me i did the right thing and i'm i've called myself a good little christian and and that's why i behave this way um and that might certainly get into the desire about the desires i think it's confirming that um but ultimately you're you can't choose pure righteousness you um only jesus did that so, final thoughts. Um, maybe I think that uh, just to highlight how difficult it is to be, um, you know, a hard determinist and, and to live your life um, believing that determinism is true when you, when, uh, in the sense that hard determinists think that things like moral responsibility and uh, those kind of concepts. Well, and you no kind of shocked apply. me. Uh, refresh my memory, but didn't you? You kind of shocked me with seventy percent of philosophers or somebody 
thinks that determinism is correct. Um, you said yeah, a high so, percentage. I don't remember. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I guess yeah. we have it recorded. We can go back and review the tapes. But <laughs> yeah, definitely a high percentage. Um, I'd say it's probably seventy percent of like psychologists. Uh, okay. And uh, a high percentage of philosophers, although a lot of philosophers are compatibilists. Um, okay. And that does, so then with psychology and maybe some other places, that does throw out this moral responsibility that then questions how we treat somebody and if it's fair to have the punishment at a certain level, right? That kind of plays into it, doesn't it, if it's determined? Yeah, so you remember our story about the shooter on the bell tower in Texas and how yeah, he wanted his yeah. brain examined and you know, you know, they go, oh, well, he had a giant tumor pressing on his right, um, right. amygdala. And um, you know, it turns out that we are all in that uh, state if determinism is true, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, all right, well put. Well, this was a production of the Wharton Institute here at Ottawa University. Thank you all for listening. And uh, if you feel so inclined to help uh, us further our reach if you could give a five-star review um, that helps us rise in the ranks when people do search engines and we'd certainly appreciate that other than that be fruitful and multiply thanks mm -hmm.